This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Welcome to the Dave Leary Show. Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast, brought to you by Freedom's Path Recovery Society in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Thank you for tuning in. Please remember that these opinions that are shared are those of the individuals and not of any agency, organization, or other entity, unless otherwise specified. Also, if you're a minor, please check with your parent and or guardian as you need to have permission to listen to these podcasts. We will potentially talk about violent subject matter, sexual content, and difficulties human beings face on their day-to-day lives in recovery. Tracy, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. It has been a summer. It's been a summer of reflection and um, letting, holding things loosely, mm-hmm. you know, letting life unfold and as it does, but not trying to control it and saying yes to it and wondering what the gifts are in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's been an interesting summer. Spent a week in Whitefish for a family wedding. Then my mother and father came up for two weeks and... Mm-hmm. Then went to Vancouver, and then we just went. To, my partner and I just went to Vernon and played some golf. And by golf, I mean I putted, <laughs> and I drove the golf cart. <laughs> Do you alternate shots and let your partner hit the drives? Um, then... We went with a couple of friends, Doug and Audrey Lamley. He used to own Lamleys. Okay. My partner and I went, and um, and so I was driving Doug's cart, and we're kind of like brother and sister. So he was hitting me a lot. Oh, I don't yeah. know why. Yeah. Uh, just because he he thinks he can. And so they would let me drop my ball on the green and I would putt. So that yeah. was my gift to the, to the foursome. Right on. Yeah. So my, my score was really low. You were probably the best. I was, I was the best. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Excellent. I, would, really I wouldn't have doubted it yeah. for a second. Yeah. yeah. So my story, gosh, you know, the story changes. The history doesn't change, mm-hmm. but the story and what I feel like I need is important mm-hmm. changes. Of course. Yeah. yeah. I was... I, uh, I'm a child, an adult child of abuse, mm-hmm. some sexual and physical abuse. And um, my parents divorced and I lived in a house that didn't have very much money and, and then went to live in a house that had a whole, whole lot of money that was a very public family. My mother had married into a, a wealthy family and my grandfather was mayor pro tem of Fort Worth. Mm. And it was a very different existence you know, having my feet in both worlds and going through one thing at one home and one thing in another home. And, but the opportunities there in the sufferings, in the abuse, and also the differences really created a foundation for my future. When I surrendered ministry at 18 mm-hmm. and became a minister. Oh, 18. 18, I surrendered at 18, yeah. Wow. When I surrender, I, mean, I just felt a call in my mm-hmm. life, yeah. Um. I went to live with my mom when I was 11 and had the great opportunity to be educated mm-hmm. in private schools and um, in a Jesuit school, a college prep school, and 
And I, be, I was really drawn by God through my abuse as a child. I always mm -hmm. knew that God was with me. Mm -hmm. uh, as I've talked to people and as you talk to people, I imagine a lot of the times I hear that if God really loved me, how could God let mm -hmm. that happen? Where was God? Yeah. For me, and I'm really grateful in my journey, I've never doubted that God was with me and never blamed mm -hmm. God for what was happening. I was so grateful to know that God was with me, suffering mm -hmm. with me. But it's interesting that God never had a, a human face. Yeah. It was neither male no, nor female, but just presence, mm -hmm. loving, and just knew what was happening. It wasn't a secret. Yeah. Because those things seem like they're big secrets for yeah. children. But with God, it wasn't a secret. God knew and my Malibu skipper knew. Mm -hmm. My little Barbie doll knew. <laughs> she helped me get through it too in different yeah. ways. So I was, as a child, I was drawn to God. But then when I went to the Catholic high school, Jesuit high school, I was drawn to God through ritual. Mm -hmm. It felt safe. Mm -hmm. And then I met, I was this wild little teenager from 14 to 17. I, I tell my friends, I've got Uncle Jack. Uncle Jack's coming over. And they say, oh, who's your Uncle Jack? And it was actually Jack Daniels. <laughs> and I catch it in my uh, locker at school. And we were heavy partiers. Mm -hmm. um, and I gave my mother such grief from age 14 to 17. And then I was at the country club one day, throwing back some daiquiris at the age of 17. Mm -hmm. And this girl who I knew, she had a speech impediment. And I used to make fun of her all the time. She played on the opposite softball team than mine that we were rivals yeah. used to pitch softball i was sitting there with my friends at the time i had such an ego so my entourage because they liked me because i paid for their drinks right mm -hmm. she just walked up to me in the midst of this circle the popular kids and asked me if i wanted to go to church camp mm -hmm. and it was a southern baptist church camp and i'd heard about it they took 500 kids from their own church one church yeah. to this camp wow it's a huge church it was yeah 2,500 to 3,000. Wow. Yeah. That's in Texas? That was, yeah, Fort Worth, Texas. Fort Worth, okay. At the time, this was 1979. Oh, and, and to the shock of my friends, I said, yeah, I'll go. Because I was really empty. Mm -hmm. I was, I had a, for lack of a better word, this hole in my heart. Something was missing. I had money. Mm -hmm. I had a lovely boyfriend. I had a mom who loved me. I had a... Uh, adopted grandparents who loved me, adopted grandparents who loved me, friends. But I really was a sad person. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, I'll go. Maybe I'll find what I'm looking for. So I went and I went on it. We showed up on a Monday. And by Wednesday, I was really pissed off because all these kids had less money than me, mm -hmm. less opportunity than me. I was wearing a different Izod. Like almost every hour I could have changed and worn a different Izod. And they were wearing just un clothes that weren't labeled, you mm -hmm. know, and they were happy. Like they had something I didn't have. And I, that day I went, this, it was set in this little, the camp was set in this little, little bitty space in West Texas and it happened to be a hill at the top of this camp with a cross on it. And so I pissed off at God. I'm going to walk up and I'm just going to give God a piece of my mind. Like, thank you, God. I've got all this. I'm so unhappy. They don't have any of it, and they're so happy. And so I laid down on the ground on my face, mm -hmm. and I said, if it's you, if it's you that's missing, that's what I want. You have my whole life, whatever that means. I don't even know what that means. 
but you've got my whole life. <laughs> and I didn't know what that meant at the time. That's a lot for a 17-year-old. That was a lot. <laughs> and so I walked down the hill, and then the minister of the church who was sponsoring the camp met me, was looking for me, actually, he, and my maiden name's Peters, and he said, are you Tracy Peters? And I said, yeah. He said, there's a phone call for you. And so I went to the phone, and it was my mom. This was August 15th, 1979, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And I said, Mom? And she was crying, and, and she said, Poppy's dead. And it was her dad. My Italian grandfather had dropped dead, pumping gas into his car. And he had been my solid father figure, taught me to fish, how to throw a baseball. I could be anyone, anything, anyhow with him. And he was, he was God with skin on. And of course, I was such a mature believer at that time, at that moment, been five minutes since I'd given my life to God. (laughs) I said, that's okay, mom. I know where love is now. Everything's going to be okay. And it wasn't. Mm. It wasn't okay. But that year, the girl that introduced me to the opportunity to actually interact with God through my spirit, through other people, um, I really grew up in her home that year, my senior year. Mm. I left the private school I was in, the Jesuit school, and went to the public school because I had to get away from the friends I was hanging out with. Cocaine was coming into our group, and I tried it once, and I thought, I like this stuff. I've got to get away from this. And I've I've got Uncle Jack can't be in my locker anymore. He's got to come out. (laughs) And so, uh, yeah, there, and she had three siblings. And so, and her parents were leaders in that church. And yes, it was a Southern Baptist church. However, I have to tell you, I was never told what to believe. Mm -hmm. I was allowed to question, question everything. Nothing was shoved down my throat. And... I was actually noticed for my leadership gifts and, and mentored early on in that church. Mm. And that's where I was able to feel a call and surrender to a call to ministry. But I learned what a healthy family, family dynamic looked like. Mm-hmm. Even in its uh, imperfection, I learned what it was like. And I learned how to open doors to people like me. I learned how to do ministry in that house. Mm-hmm. That was my first uh, school, my first seminary. That's pretty cool. That was cool. And they loved me so effectually, so naturally, so gracefully, without expectation, as I was. Like, I didn't have to change. The funky little Italian, mm-hmm. stuck-up little kid I was that was asking all these questions and really wanted to change and was changing so rapidly. They'd laugh at me because I was so hungry. Mm-hmm. And uh, not laugh at me, laugh with me. My hunger made them hunger. It was just a really neat experience. Um, and then I met my future husband, who happened to be in seminary, Southern Baptist Seminary. And we married when I was 19. And I want to say 19 and a half because that's important. <laughs> and he was six years older than me. And we had two children together, two girls. And I had them young. I was 21 and 23. And I'm really grateful had them young and then we divorced in 1996 and we divorced because of many things me being a a part of it but we divorced because um he had another life another family he was a minister but another life another family and, and some addictions that we didn't really learn what they were until the last five or six years um 
It's amazing how hidden that can stay, eh? Oh, it was. I thought it was. I saw his anger, mm-hmm. and I I saw the uncontrollable anger. Yeah. And yet he was a good father, a good helper at home. Which you know what? If you want to do the laundry and stuff, and be a helper, great. But I, I also saw some other things, some angry things, and, and some emotional and um and other abuse in other forms that I didn't really understand and, and now I do this yeah. side of knowledge this side of knowing um, and now bless his heart this guy is is a brilliant he graduated second in his class from the school university of uh, his bachelor in business second in his class mm-hmm. and third in his class in seminary masters of divinity and now this gentleman is, is homeless mm. he's been stripped of his ordination and he's homeless and my our girls who are 35 and 33 we don't know where he is, and we've had to put boundaries up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, you know, the boundaries with people that live in addiction and mental illness, mm-hmm. it, they're necessary. Yeah. But that's a living grief every day. Oh, yeah. Something that's it's very hard. Yeah, trying to enforce them is like being reminded, right? Oh, it's really yeah. tough. It's really tough. Yeah. So we divorced in 1996, and I brought my girls to Canada. We'd been in Canada for a year in ministry, and then I took the girls home, divorced, and came back a year later and went to school here. Um, and being across the border kept us safe mm-hmm. from him and also gave us an opportunity to start over. But the hard piece of it was we were leaving our their grandparents oh, yeah. and my mother and my siblings. And um, it was something I had to do. My role was to <coughs> provide a future for mm-hmm. my daughters, and, and I needed to go to school. So I went to Rocky Mountain College here and went to school and volunteered at their schools. And it was a wonderful time. Um, but I ran out of money six years later and had mm-hmm. to go home and, and file for uh, landed or immigrancy. And as I did, I let my girls stay here and kind of supported them from there. And we finally landed as immigrants in 2006. But an interesting thing happened during that time. In 2001... When I went back home, and I still had four, I still have four classes to finish my degree because I had to go home, ran out of money, and file for immigrancy. In 2001, away from my girls, alone, living at my mother's house, working, you know, <laughs> everywhere I thought I'd never be, I had that time, that silence alone in my own heart and spirit. Mm-hmm. And I was. I guess brave enough or broken enough or afraid enough searching. I don't even know what the word would be to be transparent with myself and authentic. Mm-hmm. And I realized my truth was I was gay. Mm-hmm. I'd had an experience with another type of minister in 1988, which was the most awesome experience for me as a human being that authenticated my truth that I was born this way. But what I realized out of that experience was it was what was true for me. And in 2001, I decided to be brave enough to live that. Mm-hmm. And I happened to meet someone. You know, you meet your truth. You show up as a student and the teacher appears or your vice versa. And I met my first partner. And it was so such a cool experience because when I told my mother, I'm thinking my mother's only daughter, how am I going to tell my mother I'm gay? I don't want to break her heart. God, that's agony too, isn't it? Oh, I just don't want to break her yeah. heart. I don't want to disappoint her. Yeah. So I wrote her a letter. And as a good Italian daughter, daughter would do, I bought a bottle of wine. <laughs> and I said, Mom, 
Uh, this is Linda. She's a friend of mine. Here's a bottle of wine. I'd like you to open a glass, sit by the pool, and read the letter. And I'm going to come back in an hour, okay? She said, okay. So an hour passed like molasses. <laughs> and I went back, and my partner went with me. She stood up, and she looked at me. And she opened her arms, and she said, I love you. I wouldn't wish this for you for the world because the world's going to be ugly to you. Mm. But nothing's changed. Mm. You're my daughter. I love you. And then she looked at my partner and said, and I love you too. And she just hugged us both. Mm. And for me, that was my mother with God's skin on. Yeah. That was what it was. That was unconditional love. Mm. And she has never looked at me. I've never felt any different in my mother's eyes. Yeah. Just like I've never felt any different in God's eyes. And since that moment, I've never allowed myself to feel different in anyone else's eyes yeah. regarding my gender identity. Mm-hmm. Because for me, I really believe it's about how I love, not who I love. Mm-hmm. And I love very imperfectly. So anyway, my first partner is a lovely human being, and we are still friends. Um, my second partner happened to be a, a minister in the United Church of Canada, and and we married, and we brought our families together, and uh, we actually served in ministry together for eight and a half years. Wow! We helped a church that was amalgamated from three churches. Mm-hmm. We, that began with 53 people. We call them the blue hair, blue legs, or the sea of blue. <laughs> we helped them grow. We had some really good synergy. Yeah. And uh, and for b- reasons that came from both of us, that marriage did not last. And when I filed for divorce, I stepped out of that marriage. I went and I gathered a team around me outside of the United Church of Canada. Counselor, spiritual director, my mentor... Um, my doctor and a nutritionist and I said I've married some a person with similar attributes to my first I've married the same type mm-hmm. of person I'm not saying they did the same type of things but yeah. some similarities and I I said and and in my marriage my second marriage my monster came out mm-hmm. and so the gifts there are many gifts of that marriage that were beautiful and that remain beautiful but one of the ugly gifts of that marriage for me was I saw some things in me that needed healing that came out that had not been healed that were a result of things I'd been through prior in my childhood. And so um, my team, I said, I'm the common denominator. You know, not my exes. This is about me. And I want you to help me peel this back. Let's just do the work. And so we did. And it was very helpful. Uh, it was terrifying. And what I learned was that I had, I'd done the, the work of forgiving my abusers, um, but I was still drawn to one of my abusers. And I was drawn to a face. And my abuser had two faces, one at home and one mm-hmm. that was public. And the one that was public was so, it was almost like, um, Maria Von Trapp, you just fell in love with her. You just couldn't help her. Just that chemistry, that charismatic being, the mm-hmm. way she was. Um, and I was drawn to the Jekyll 
Hyde pieces, yeah. um, which also tells me that I had Jekyll Hyde pieces. What I'm drawn to, I, I am. Mm. And so I, I wanted to heal that piece in me. And, and I was grateful for how uh, my relationships had reflected that back to me. Yeah. So I did that work. And now that happened and the divorce was final in 2016. And now I'm in, it was about a year ago, I was praying and I said, I, and I lived alone. That was really neat. For the first time in my life, I lived alone. No children at home. No one, you know, mm. my children are both married, successful, and happy. And I have two grandsons, and they're the joy of my life. But I'd never lived alone before, so I quite liked my own company. This was kind of cool. And it really tested my authenticity, mm. too, because, you know, who you are when you're by yourself is who you are. Mm. So I had an opportunity to... Um, to meet myself in a way I hadn't before, the shadow and the light. So as I was living that experience and growing and and working here in team ministry uh, at Wild Rose United Church uh, in different capacities and learning, um, I said in June of 2018, okay, God, I think I'm ready to meet somebody. Mm-hmm. And uh, little did I know, I went on this... So I said, I don't go to bars. I don't do anything. I go to church. I guess see my family. Where do you meet people? Unless they drop from heaven, <laughs> from the sky. Oh, hi. <laughs> I've been waiting for you all my life. That's how I felt about Darcy when he came into my life. Yeah. It's just, like right out of heaven. Yeah, it's got to come out of heaven. Yeah. So someone said, well, there's this, this online elite singles and you got to drop some coin <laughs> and you got to put your whole profile out there and it's, you know, it's professionals it. and yeah. it's really a screening. You're not going to meet anybody that's going to chop your head off or... Mm-hmm steal your coffee or anything like that. And so I did, and I went on, and uh, I said, I think I'm ready, I think I'm ready. And four or five people kind of reached out, but the one profile that stood out to me didn't have a picture. And I'm like, come on. I said, I know this probably sounds shallow, but could you send me a picture? So about four or five days later, I get a picture of this one that's sitting behind me right now. Yep. And I went, wow. Your eyes are just like it's going through mirror after mirror after mirror after mirror. And so we chatted a bit and changed phone calls. And at first phone call, it was just, it was like uh, two histories meeting. I don't know. So we decided to meet and, and we did. And boy, what a, what a divine exchange that was. And to find out that she's from Dallas, Fort Worth too. Really? Yeah. And you were living here? Living in Calgary. Wow. Yeah. A small world, eh? Small world. Yeah. Yeah. And she'd been, uh, she had some friends in the United Church too, so that wasn't so scary to her. So when she reads that I'm a minister and I'm fierce about family and been through some own, uh, my own healing work in my own life, like right on. And so, yeah, we've just celebrated a year and uh, my family adores her. Congratulations. Thank both you. Of you. Yeah. And in that time, what I realized in my last year of ministry, this past year and and with my person, is that uh, I'm in grief recovery. Mm. I've buried two brothers uh, who were addicts. Oh. My brother Britt uh, died um, in 2013, September 12th. And my brother Ted died June 1st, 2017. And, uh, so you just passed an anniversary for just passed two anniversaries wow. again, yeah. 
And watching my mother go through that, what I learned through that, so many things, I'm still learning. What the Jews do very well, and what I see in Jesus and in between the lines and the blank spaces where there's no words in the scriptures, his presence meant, meant, meant everything. When I flew down, when my brother Britt died, we actually took him off life support. He had a massive heart attack and was brain dead. And so we all sat around and did that. And that was from an overdose, you said? Um, it was from 20 years of meth. 20 years of meth, okay. He was actually yeah. going and doing the, what do you do when you're, when you're getting your kidneys? What's it called? Dialysis? Dialysis, yeah. And making everybody think that he was really on board and we were going to get a kidney transplant. But what we found out after he died, we went through his closet to get a suit for his funeral for him to wear. A coat fell down. And um, out of that coat was six months of prescriptions he hadn't been taking. Mm. It was like the only control he had was how he was going to die. Mm -hmm. And he, we had talked six months before his death about me doing his funeral one day and stuff. I didn't know it would be so soon. So watching him die in front of his parents, we don't share the same father, and then watching my parent, his dad, and my mom were, our mother, we were in the same room picking out that suit, and when that coat fell, I watched those two human beings go through another death mm -hmm. of realizing he was an addict, and we learned that he was actually shooting up in his port. Mm -hmm. He just had a massive heart attack, and he died. And then my, um, my younger brother was also gay. And gay in Texas is not easy. Gay oh. anywhere is not easy. But gay and effeminate is not easy. And uh, and now looking back, and I talked to my mom about this the other day, he was really a woman. Mm -hmm. We didn't have the language to talk about that yeah. then. And he had already become such a, a recluse. He was lost to us, although he and my mother were very close. They were still, she, he didn't let her in. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, my mother found him dead. So my mother watched one die and then found him dead the next morning. So going back to watching my mother grieve and just being with her, what I learned about ministry is it has nothing much to do about what we learn in seminary because they dismantle everything for us. And then we, we graduate, and I still have four courses, like I said, but we graduate, and it's like, here, you go and put it together. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, presence is everything. And uh, that's all I could give her. Yeah. I could sit and I could listen and cry. But there were there's no vocabulary for a parent losing a child. Nah, there certainly isn't. There's just not. Yeah. And what she has taught me is resiliency. What your father was talking about in the recovery service mm -hmm. tonight was joy is an inside out thing. Mm -hmm. And, and she gets up and she chooses joy every day, every single day. And to me, that is a soulful spiritual sobriety. Mm -hmm. That is just as hard as addiction must be. 100%. Yeah. And as I grieve, perhaps I may leave. I'm, I'm kind of discerning whether I'm going to stay in congregational ministry or not. If mm -hmm. I'm going to stay in the United Church of Canada. Mm -hmm. or if I'm going to stay in ministry or if I'm going to go and do something else. I'm really discerning that. Mm -hmm. But as I grieve my brothers and I, as I grieve watching my children grieve, mm -hmm. uh, not in a codependent way because that's theirs, but a mother's heart hurts, a mm -hmm. daughter's heart hurts. Mm -hmm. I'm learning to put boundaries in 
and to live my own life every day with joy. And that's something I'm having to choose every day. Mm -hmm. Um, To not worry. Yeah. Because my mother had a massive heart attack a year ago. Oh, she did. Almost to the day. It was on Father's Day last year. And so her heart was so broken, it actually broke. Yeah. And and yet she's come back. Mm -hmm. She's resilient. She went to rehab, cardio rehab, my mother on a treadmill. <laughs> Probably with a glass of wine, but still she was on the treadmill. <laughs> you telling the guy next to her, cussing her, come on, you yeah. SOB, get on, you can do this, you can do this. She's such an encourager and a minister in her own right. Uh, and then she joined a grief group. She did her work and, she's, and she did it again this year. She's doing her work. She's teaching me what it's like to take responsibility for our lives, even when mm. others or circumstances have hurt us, we get to choose how we live. Yeah. We get to control it. Yeah. And That's her great. relationship with God has, she'll call me and say, I prayed for you this morning. And I'm like, what? Who am I talking to? Mm-hmm. Who is this person? <laughs> and the life that comes from death, mm-hmm. from the death of a marriage, from the death of a dream, from yeah. the death of a relationship, from the death of a child, there are gifts in the darkness. Mm-hmm. And so recovery for me is learning to turn on the light. Yeah. And being called to be the light to other people. Yeah. It's a hard calling. It sure We've just is. lost three or four mega church ministers to suicide in the last few years. One this week. Really? Another one just took his life in California. Oh, I had no idea yeah. that there was, this was going on. The rate yeah. of ministers of being depressed and suicide is on the rise like never before. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. you got to have this face on. Yeah. And I have found, and my colleagues have found, and even my ex and I was in ministry with said, it's hard to get, to trust your colleagues. Mm-hmm. Everybody's trying to compete and keep their church open, you know, and it's, it's sharing best practices is becoming the, the things that we say, but it's not done really well. Yeah. Agreed. Um, Agreed. And having that camaraderie with, this is what I'm dealing with in mm-hmm. my life without being judged. Um. Yeah. My question is, how do you keep even wanting to be connected to the church? Because, and I've learned more about it from being ma- married to a minister mm-hmm. and being a minister. Yeah. Is is you know I was married to two ministers and I was a minister and I am a minister. We are not the church. Mm-hmm. We are human and we are accountable to the church mm-hmm. and to our families. But mostly, we're, first we're accountable to God and ourselves. Mm-hmm. Nothing else is going to matter or get any better until that is intact. Yeah. I'm not going to be any better in my partnership with my person and my being a grandmother, being a mother to my children, being a minister to my congregation than I am to my own self. Mm-hmm. And so the church is not who God is. That's for sure. And so, and I've said this before, and I will say it again, and I hope you can hear my heart in it. And it doesn't come out of ego. This is not an ego thing. I feel like my calling is not to be to save people. I've never felt that. Mm-hmm. Life and ways of Jesus save me every day. I, I, I follow that. That's the boat I'm in. Mm-hmm. The sayings of Buddha, yes. Gandhi, someone should have given him a banana. I'm sorry about that. But still the ways he went, mm-hmm. awesome. Lots of sacred teachers I have. But I follow that way, mm-hmm. the way of Christ. Um. 
I just lost my train of thought. What was I saying? What were you saying? I was, we're talking about how you managed to stay connected after that. I feel like I'm a missionary yeah. in the church. Okay. To say this is not about saving people. It's not about growing mega. Mm-hmm. It's not about I know more Greek than you know or mine's growing faster than your, yours yeah. is. It's about helping people connect head to heart yeah. and loving people as they are, where they are, how they are. Mm-hmm. And it's about that forgiveness 70 times 7 over and over and over, but still accountability. Mm-hmm. You know, we can appreciate people. We can affirm people. We can do all these things with people. But that's in of accountability to how we are and have our being and our moving with people. Yeah. And how I have my being and my moving with God. And I think the most painful thing for me in my life has been, I think, being a part of the United Church of Canada. Yeah. Being misunderstood. Um, and I, I really think that when we put assumptions on it, when we assume, yeah, there was a, a woman in my last congregation, I just adore her. She said, Tracy, assumption is food for asses. Mm-hmm. And I thought, because it makes an ass out of me and it makes an ass out of you. And I thought, how true, mm-hmm. you know, and especially a talking ass. Well, who wants to be around <laughs> one of those? You know? Yeah. Although we know lots oh, of don't them. Don't we know? Yeah. Um, I'm sure people say that about me. I'm a talking ass. Hey, Darcy. I don't think so. I don't think so. Maybe we can talk to your partner and see how that's going for you. But uh, my ex-partner said, uh, um, Tracy, you've got strikes going against you. You used Mm. to be a conservative Christian. You used to be, uh, you came from Texas. You sound like George W. Bush. W. (laughs) I shall not W, you know. Did you say I shall not W? Yeah. Because I have this accent, right? So it must be stupid because stupid, you know, Texans... If you sound like this, you can't have any. Yeah, that's far from the truth, of course. But yeah, yeah. and then and then you're gay, mm. right? Yeah. Oh, and you're American too, Texan American. Texans worse than being American. And what we've just learned lately, my partner said, someone told her the other day, "Don't worry, don't worry. Vegans are so much worse than lesbians." <laughs> Or vegans. Vegans, vegans. So are you that, a vegan? That's good to know. No. No, you guys aren't no. vegans. So. No, but I went vegan for for Lent. Oh, did you? Yeah, that was a treat. Yeah? Anyway, not anymore. I mean, it's cool if you are. I was just curious. No, I tried. I just yeah. thought, you know, I gave up pasta. I thought, well, that's something I could try to do, but a lot more than pasta. Anyway, feeling like a missionary in church, mm-hmm. and not just the United Church of Canada, every church I've been in, like Jesus walking into the church was a missionary of love. It's not about all the rules. I mean, mm-hmm. they killed him because he said, that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Love your neighbor as yourself and yeah. God with all you got. Mm-hmm. And when he decided to go in Jerusalem that last week and you watched what was going on in the church, second time he dared step in the building, mm-hmm. he left the building, which I, you know, I really thought about. He left that building, took some time, made a cat of nine tails. Went inside, wasn't it back the next day? And he overthrew the tables and mm-hmm. said, no, this isn't love. This is exploitation. Mm-hmm. And he, he gave him something to crucify him for. And he yeah. knew it. Yeah, he He'd been be. telling the guys, hey, guys, this is coming. I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. This is coming. And it came. Yeah, they were pissed. They were pissed. Yeah. And they were always looking for his head on a platter. Mind you, they were looking for anyone's head on a platter, really. True. They, they, how many but why? People did they, I don't know, because they like to crucify people, I think. Those Romans were, they were a little bit off their rocker. But don't we like to crucify? I mean, really, the, the, I think the greatest weapon that we have is our tongue. Mm-hmm. And the scripture says the tongue is set on fire. Yeah. 
And that actually translates. The Greek comes back, the fire is Gehenna. Hmm. And Gehenna is a place in the Old Testament where <laughs> the tribe of people, you know, in order for their harvest to be blessed, they would pick a golden child, someone's child, and throw them off the mountain to where everything was burning, where they burnt their trash. That child would be sacrificed in Gehenna, the trash pit that was on fire. So our tongues are set on fire by where we throw our children in, mm-hmm. expecting God to bless us. Man. That's twisted. <laughs> That's really twisted. That's yeah. twisted. Yeah. And then Paul goes on to say, who can control the tongue? He he mm-hmm. he sets the metaphor as it's a bridle on a horse's mouth. You know, with one thing we bless our, our children and the other thing we curse them. Mm-hmm. So I think that's our greatest weapon. It starts every war. That's mine. Yeah. No, it's yours. Well, it's mine. I want it. So I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take it. Mm-hmm. We've been drawing lines in the sand since the beginning. We do it in our churches. Yeah, we do for sure. And I think that's the biggest reason why they're falling. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, that's definitely a part of it. Like that country that people don't want to be hating. Other people. No, not the majority of people. There's some people that still want to hate. Don't get me wrong. There's people that just want to hate. Right. Right. But like at the pride parade we had, there was four. Yeah. Four or five real against homosexuality protesters. Right. Like against the whole thing, against (laughs) the whole thing. But they were such a non-entity. It's kind of like, I hope that's what's happening in the world at large, but Mm -hmm. I know that's probably not what's happening. Mm -hmm. Not quite yet, I guess. Mm -hmm. Even though I'm a little bit encouraged by that, but I'm more, I'm more encouraged by the fact that a person like yourself is is able to just continue to be yourself regardless of what happens so like i have absolutely no idea what happened up here in canada in terms of whatever is going on with the united church um and it doesn't really have to be anything in my mm-hmm. mind because it could be it could be anything and it could be literally nothing mm-hmm. right i mean because what my experience has been i was born in the church and raised in the church mm-hmm. and um, I, as I get older, I want to be further and further away from the church, right? And the reason is, is lots of reasons, not just one. Um, and it's not a lack of belief in a God. It's, mm-hmm. it's a lack of belief in the church, mm-hmm. frankly, a lack of belief in the people of the church. Uh, not mm-hmm. all people, because like my folks, yourself, I know lots of wonderful people who are involved in Christian churches mm-hmm. and Muslim church, mm-hmm. uh, sin, um, what are they? Synagogues? No, Muslim temples. Temple. Temple. Now, now we're all like, can you look that up, man? Um, uh, I'm not trying to be rude to Muslims at all. I'm just, I like whether it's uh, Judaism. Inside Ju- the walls. Yeah, inside the walls. That's where oftentimes I've experienced God goes to die, is inside the walls of a church. They because God becomes so small in a church. Um, and again, not all churches. I can't. I'm not saying walls. that. Mosque. Thank you. Thank very you. Much. That was driving me crazy. Yeah, me too. Because when you said temple, I'm like, that's close. But I, I was don't. thinking of number five in Richmond, BC. And I was thinking of a Buddhist temple downtown. Mm-hmm. That's what. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, I, I we don't think about that stuff much. But mm-hmm. it's so having been through all that you've been through in the church, I think it's pretty fascinating that you still hang on to your faith in that way. My faith is not in the church. Yeah, that's that's obvious. My faith is in the spirit. Mm-hmm. By whatever name we know her, know him. Um, and it's sad because the last, I, I can sense God and feel her spirit uh, when I'm leading worship. And I'm talking about with a praise band or mm-hmm. when I was in the, the conference praise band. Because um, you sing too, right? I sing too. Yeah, and I write yeah. music, yeah. yeah. But I don't read a note. So that's totally a gift. <laughs> 
I hear it. <laughs> yeah. I hear it all. I get the words and I record it and someone scores it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was able to, to present some of my music to conference, United Church of Canada or Alberta Northwest Conference for a couple of years in a row, I sense, I felt the spirit and I've, I felt the spirit through music and when being part of a band or through singing. But otherwise I have not felt the spirit mm-hmm. in the last 12 years. And it's grieved me deeply. Mm-hmm. I imagine. I have felt the spirit when I've been in the presence of someone seeking God. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeffrey was one. Mm-hmm. Um, I've when I've heard people speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and both my exes, and 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 the gifts that they brought uh, to ministry, definitely, they have their own journeys mm-hmm. uh, that they're following. But and learn for both of them. But I felt the spirit. But I've, I've, I've been grieving the lack of the spirit inside the walls. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know what to do about that. And I don't know if that's mine. Yes. So it's interesting that you say that you're leaving the church because mm-hmm. maybe that's what I'm doing. Maybe yeah. I'm going out to do ministry outside of the church. It, well, it's interesting, right? And it's just from my perspective, because I mean, these things can change. And mm-hmm. they can, like, as I started to realize that God was just bigger than this, right? Yeah. Like, like so much bigger than whatever I could compartmentalize it to be, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and once I started to think about that, I started to like really lean towards what people were calling me, which was a bad Christian, right? <laughs> and they weren't saying it to yeah. be mean. They were saying it because they actually thought I was a good person, mm-hmm. which was really weird for me as a growing up Christian where, where people were like, oh, he's a Christian, so he must be like generous and all these things, right? Mm-hmm. And, which you are. I am absolutely. I but I believe that has way more to do with my parents, mm. because all I watched my parents do was be generous, because it never really occurred to me that until I kind of got older, that that generosity for them had come from their faith, mm-hmm. because I just assumed they were just generous people, right? And and so I still assume that. And now as, as I get older, it's just really hard for me to limit God to one kind of faith. Like, because I, I just experienced yeah. so much outside of the church and with people who aren't believers um, that some of the stuff with, and it's, again, I'm not arguing Christianity here, of course. It's more that journey, right, of self-discovery that humans go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and to think that, how could our faith be the same as it was 20 years ago? It's not. It can't. It's yeah. not. And I, I have learned, I am... I don't even know if if there's one faith. It's eclectic. Mm-hmm. That is the faith. That you know, when I was here, you saw me say, "You're welcome. Welcome to Wild Rose United Church. By any, you're welcome to worship God by any name you know by." Mm-hmm. And I don't even know God's name mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. I just know that God is inside me, outside me, around me, above mm-hmm. me, below, and with me no matter what. Knows all the deep and hidden places. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's the piece where I just want to give it to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I started reading Rachel Held Evans, who just lost us. She just died tragically, 37 years old. And oh, geez. Her latest book is Inspired. Um, she's got a bladder infection. Oh, geez. And she just tweeted. Just her last tweet was, uh, oh, I've got this bladder infection, and oh, I don't feel well, and Game of Thrones is coming on. Now I'm going to the hospital, going to get some tests, you know, they can mm. try to find out something. And she was given some some of the wrong medicine that sent her into seizures. So they put her in a coma to try to figure out why. Mm-hmm. And um, when they brought her out, it, it didn't work. Oh. And I just read her 
one of her first books, but it was called Searching for Sunday. And the person that wrote the foreword, her first sentence was, I cannot imagine. Whenever I think about the world not having the words of Rachel Held Evans, I shiver. Something like mm-hmm. that. I can't imagine not having her. And she was alive at the time. Yeah. But she talked about, she lost, almost lost her faith. She lost it in the church. Mm-hmm. And how it was hurting people, condemning. She was seeing people, young people and friends, who were brave enough to come out mm-hmm. as LGBTQ or whatever. And... Um, People who were given time, talent, and treasure to the church, but once they came out, they said, no, you're not, we don't want you anymore. Mm-hmm. You're not welcome at the communion table. Mm-hmm. You're not welcome. And it broke her heart. And that was not Jesus to her. Oh, that's, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. That was not Jesus at all. And she mm-hmm. said, Phew. and she and her husband stopped going. And, and then she and some other people, uh, it's a great book. I recommend it. Anything by her, Nadia Bowles Weber. Searching for Sunday. Okay. Um, and Nadia Bowles Weber, I'm reading Pastrix right now. So good. The tattooed Lutheran minister that began with nine people in her home, the church that was in Denver, Colorado, called the House of Saint, Sinners and Saints. Oh, cool. And now her books have taken off, and so she's had to resign from that and go teach mm-hmm. further out. That's a cool name for a church, church yeah. Saints and Sinners. I like it. And I've had several people since I've left here, and since 2015... But leaving here, say, in the last, I'd say, three or four months, say, about 14 people, Tracy, why don't you start your own church? I'd come. Mm-hmm. And one was a minister, is a minister. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm called to that. Mm-hmm. There's something else. There's something more. And if I did something and could put a name to it, I would call it Speakeasy. Mm-hmm. Speakeasy. You know the old Speakeasies? Yeah. I'd call it Speakeasy, a place where people could come speak easy mm. and maybe I wouldn't even bring in God unless they wanted I felt that that was a conversation to bring in God or maybe mm. it would have a God element to it I think every conversation is spiritual yeah me too me too yeah, yeah. but a place to where people where I could really help people yeah and they could speak easy that'd be cool yeah yeah so what's stopping you that's a good question. Maybe I, I don't know. I feel like I'm giving excuses mm-hmm. because it keeps coming up. Mm-hmm. You know, when it keeps coming up, it's not finished with you. It's not oh, done. Oh, yeah, for sure. I was just talking, I'm pointing to my partner behind me. I was just talking <laughs> with you the other day saying, yeah, I remember I um, I led with an old, an old saying in a sermon, but I added another piece to it. I like to open my sermons with a joke because I think if people are laughing, they're listening. Mm-hmm. And so this guy dies, goes to heaven. And he says, God, you're an asshole. Why didn't you save me? After all I did, let's just say he was a minister. This minister dies, goes to heaven. You're an asshole. Why didn't you save me? And God said, well, I sent you a a life raft. He goes, well, I didn't want a life raft. (laughs) Well, I sent you this big, huge boat. I didn't want a boat. Well, I sent you a jet ski. I don't like jet skis. He goes, well, I sent a shark and just killed you. Now you're here. Okay. (laughs) And that's the part I I added. Yeah. A shark. Now you're here. And so that's a good question. I'm going to be accountable to that because you asked it and people are going to hear it now. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe yeah. I will. Maybe that's what I'm called to. I mean, it takes money. Mm-hmm. I talked to my mentor and she goes, she's Dutch and she says, oh my God, Tracy, that takes money. It takes money. But the money, you know, if I walk in faith, the net, the net will catch me. Mm-hmm. So it's talking to people and seeing what I'm supposed to do next. Mm-hmm. I know I'm supposed to finish my book and I haven't. My girls are just, my children are like, do yeah. it. How far along are you with it? 256 pages. So you're in it. I'm in it. Yeah, you're knee deep at least, mm-hmm. not waist deep. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I have that. Um, I know that my heart is at, my ex-husband and I traveled separately and together for 10 years internationally teaching and speaking at different churches and different places, universities. And I loved that. I loved going mm-hmm. in and out and creating things. And um, But now to do it, you know, back then we didn't have internet. Yeah. It was word of mouth and sending postcards and you went, they liked you, they invited you back mm-hmm. and you email something out and say, hey, I'm going to be here. Why don't you come? Why don't you have me? And you can share mm-hmm. the expenses. Now you got to write something. Yeah. You have to have a name. So. Yeah. Have, it, it helps to have stuff accompanying you. It does. Yeah, sure. it really yeah. does. I think John Pentland, he's a minister at Hillhurst downtown, and uh, I think he'll he'll be out doing that one day. He's got his book on fishing tips. And mm-hmm. when that guy wrote his, his uh, article in the Globe and Mail about being addicted to Oxycontin, yeah. Um, and for those of you listening, it's a great article, the, uh, the Reverend Dr. John Petlin and Hillhurst United. He was waiting for hip surgery, hip replacement, and uh, his doctors gave him medicine for pain, and he got addicted to it, and the journey mm-hmm. from that abyss. I just so appreciated his authenticity and his bravery yeah. because of the people that are going to... He spoke easy, right? Yeah. The people that are going to feel like mm-hmm. he's safe to speak easy to. Yeah. It's going to open doors. Absolutely. Yeah, that openness does though. Right. I mean, Hillhurst. All I hear about Hillhurst are good, positive things. Mm-hmm. That they're not. They're probably the most forward church that I've heard of in town. Yeah. I don't know of any that are like out past them. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's lots that have caught up now mm-hmm. because the culture's changing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're they're pretty good. Yeah. Pam Barker. I don't know her personally, but she played oh, a role in helping that open up to the LGBTQ yeah. community and with their outreach and marketing and stuff. Yeah. And so they have a huge. You know, presence there, and it's everybody. You got the rich, poor, the homeless. Mm-hmm. How they buried that homeless guy mm-hmm. at Hillhurst? Yeah, that was always coming in, and the church got to it. Just and he was panhandling in the neighborhood because I lived down there. Yeah, you know? and just an, he was a decent guy, but obviously hard up. Yeah, right? so yeah, they're doing real ministry. Yeah, they are. I saw that type of ministry that Hillhurst is doing in 2008 when I went to Glide Memorial mm-hmm. in San Francisco, and I saw red, yellow, black, and white, gay, straight, rich, poor, mm-hmm. young families with their kids heterosexual, a Mexican man married to a black man sitting in mm-hmm. front of me. I saw, it was like the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, it was, Yeah. they were rocking it. Yeah. They were doing it. Yeah, they are. And they're still doing they're it. They're still doing it. Yeah. And it's interesting because you can go just across the river down to a downtown church. And I won't say the name, but it's not Knox. Um, <laughs> but it's our, not. Our church here? In Calgary. Yeah. yeah. It's not Knox United. It's another one downtown. Um, and the uh, the spoken attitude is inclusion but the actual internal attitude is only so far mm-hmm. we're only going to include oh, you so yes. far yeah. you can be included in our congregation mm-hmm. but as soon as you start working with us like with the the church team or whoever mm-hmm. well then things get a little complicated yeah got to yeah. be some changing yeah change your clothes yeah. change your well, clothes change your clothes change who you are change mm-hmm. yeah you can be gay but don't talk about being gay mm-hmm. right because that sets the precedence that people it's okay for people to be gay mm-hmm. so then um and we didn't realize that this was going on in the background obviously mm-hmm. um i wouldn't have nothing to do with that if i had known mm-hmm. um but because i was always told oh yeah we're open to everyone mm-hmm. everyone's welcome here and i'm like okay <laughs> and then you go to the service and you see in the in the congregation everyone's welcome here. right but only there are they yeah only there yeah yeah you're welcome there because that like i, I don't really know their motives it could be simply a matter of they believe in the doctrine they're teaching enough that they don't want to have that doctrine altered, which is 
fair. That's their business. Um, but it really was a weird environment when it's not wholeheartedly adopted. Yeah. Right. It, it just it sets this really weird. So I'm not surprised that they're not considered an affirming church. Right. I'm not surprised by that at all because they're just not affirming. Yeah. They're more like allies, I guess, but only allies to a point. <laughs> It's kind of like they're allies, but if the Germans came in the back door, they'd be like, yeah, you can take them. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Sad. Oh, that's sad. I'm sorry I laughed. Yeah. It's true. You know, I want to ask the question to mm-hmm. a, a, a beautiful heterosexual comp- couple. How is my kissing a girl, loving a girl, committed to a girl, mm-hmm. hurting your relationship with your spouse, hurting your couplehood, your family? Mm-hmm. I'm paying my taxes. I'm working hard. I'm volunteering mm-hmm. like how, how I know and, and the fact that we that we still feel like we have to explain that mm-hmm. to other people right mm-hmm. like and then and that it, that's what kind of occurs inside some churches um is that okay we want to we want to accept you mm-hmm. but we don't want you changing our rules right we don't want you changing the words of our songs we don't want you changing the words of our openings um like we got a little bit of kickback when mm-hmm. Um, from some of the more 12 step uh, yeah, zealous people when we change the wording in the steps mm-hmm. and when we change the wording and how it works. Because so then it's not truth anymore. It's exactly what they said. And I said, well, if you think that it, the truth is dependent on those words being those words, mm-hmm. well, then the truth is very um, flexible. Right. <laughs> right? Right. Because we can use all kinds of words. Absolutely. And, and it's just simply in print. That's all that's different is you're reading it in print and you've read it in print enough that you think that's gospel, right? right. But I don't, so, so to me, of course, it was like, well, it's a no brainer. We're going to take out him, hers. Mm-hmm. We're going to put in God, God. Mm-hmm. God's fine because mm-hmm. it's genderless right. because we're not thinking of this father God. Mm-hmm. That's not what we're thinking of because that's not what AA was thinking of. Right. Although some people argue that it was. like, And, and I'm not going to get into that mire. Well, because, I don't know what Bob was thinking about, but... But Dr. But the same Bob? Yeah, Bill and Bob. Bill and Bob. Yeah, Bill and Bob. And but they had Judeo-Christian beginnings, yeah, right? Sure. Like like that's most what, people. We do, do what we know. Exactly. So I I don't think that it, that's necessarily what they wanted mm. it to symbolize. Mm. But when you symbolize it with God and then him, now you're very Christian, mm-hmm. right? Cuz all of a sudden You've put the Christian taint on it. Well, you put a patriarchal spin on it. Patriarch, exactly. You put. And do you know pa- what Christian means? Has no. anyone ever told you? It no. means little Christ. Really? That's where it came from. See, and if only people actually would take it like little Christ. That you're following would, in the footsteps. Yeah. So we could all go around whipping people, like throwing tables of money over. Let's and, do it. Let's go throw some tables. I like it. Okay. I like the idea. I don't know. It was funny. We were at recovery. You go, tell me day. how it goes. Call I, me. I will. Okay. We, we were at recovery day last Sunday. Was it last Sunday? Yeah. Yeah. La- yeah last Sunday. And uh, there's all these tables of these different mm-hmm. groups. And I, I know, like, unfortunately or fortunately, whatever, I know lots of people that are involved. And mm-hmm. some and some people are, are, are less altruistic than others, I'll say. Mm-hmm. Right? And there was a moment where I was thinking, what would Jesus do here? And I was like, yeah, he would totally walk in here and be like, you trash it <laughs> what would jesus do mm-hmm. would jesus be welcome at to serve communion to preside over communion in the united church of canada it's a good question i think you would probably be better to answer that than me my first leaning would be probably not because jesus would present as some as probably the least of these and not the best of these mm-hmm. right jesus would present as the person who was probably unkempt 
didn't smell perfect, didn't dress but perfectly. But I find the United, some churches in the United Church of Canada, because it holds mm-hmm. a spectrum, yeah. some are affirming, some really live into that. Yeah. Red, yellow, black, white, how you smell, how you mm-hmm. look, how you talk, intellectual, educated, not, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some are really good some at it. Some are really good at yeah. it. Hillhurst is a Hillhurst, great example of yeah. that. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and I'm not bashing the other ones, because I don't oh. know. Uh, but some are really good at it. But would he be welcome? Mm-hmm. If he wasn't educated in one of the United Church Canada seminaries, yeah, would he be welcome if he had his head and heart connected? Would he sound mm-hmm. stupid or less than mm-hmm. if he didn't speak according to the according to the Bible? What do you call it? The dogma know, or whatever. Dogma or whatever. And you you said something just a second ago when you changed the wording when you guys changed the wording mm-hmm. to the old school AA stuff. That's exactly what Jesus did to the 613 laws. And, you know, really, that's BS. Mm-hmm. If we're going to keep those laws, I mean, when people say to you, you know, you're homosexual, here's the, what it says in the Old Testament. And those seven, they beat gays to death with those seven scriptures because mm-hmm. they don't really know what they mean or keep them in context. Yeah. You know, let's keep that one in context and let's see what the blend of your shirt is because we're going to have to stone you to death if it's cotton and polyester blend. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah Darcy. There goes my Saturday. Yeah, that, there goes your Saturday. <laughs> Damn, another stoning. Stop buying polyester, bro. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> I don't know. Mm. What would a speakeasy, if you were walking into something called a speakeasy, what would you want to see in there? I think just people exactly like you described. People just like talking easy, like not nobody's too up, too down, just kind of talking easy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like... And I think that's kind of what we wanted to do um, in, a, in a different vein because we're definitely not religious or anything mm-hmm. like that. But it is, we still wanted to have it easy. Yeah. You know, because I don't have a dogma I want people to believe in. And, I, and, and that makes our position very easy, right? Is because I, I'm open to all kinds of dogmas. You know, um, my, our dogma is love, really. I was fixing to say, you know? I have really come to that. It, there's mm-hmm. nothing more than that. Not that I don't need to learn and keep reading. Of course, but yeah. But still, I'm like, if, the, if I don't know, it's just about love. Yeah. And anything else is... Well, you said it earlier about, about the unconditional love. When you described yeah. your, I think it was your grandpa. He just loved me. That guy God loved in, me. God in your grandpa's body? like yeah. and, and your mom? Skin God on, in yeah. Your, yeah, in, yeah, with uh, skin on, your mom's skin on. Th- that's how I came to know God, period. Mm-hmm. But it, it wasn't through people who were pounding God on me it was through people who were like gently massaging love onto me right mm-hmm. like that's how I felt God's presence yeah <clears throat> and to be completely honest I never felt it wholly until I sobered up yeah you know and I got to a place where people could love you without identifying themselves first mm-hmm. right where they were just they were there to love you and I, there's lots of good and bad about like the 12-step fellowship but the tw- but the 12-step fellowship I first went to it not only saved my life, but it allowed me to connect to like what I now come to understand as David's real God, not everybody else's real God, but this God that just, you know, isn't small enough to be compartmentalized, right? Because every time I try, I can't, I fail because I'm like, no, I don't believe God's petty. So if I don't believe God's petty, then I have to take pettiness out of my, my thinking, mm-hmm. right? When I'm thinking about this entity, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think the journey, wherever it takes, um, is where it takes and where God needs us, mm-hmm. right? 
And I even believe that about atheists. I yeah. even believe it. Like I, cause if you're, if you're asking me, we talked about it a little bit last week. I'm like, if, if your God is not powerful enough to make you an atheist, well then you've got the wrong God, <laughs> right? Because yeah, absolutely. why, why would a God be so petty? If an atheist can be a loving human and help humanity, why wouldn't God want that? True. Right? I mean, that's just my opinion. Again, I'm, I'm not a, a theologian or anything like that. But I remember yeah. asking a question. I was 18. And it was in Southern Baptist Church. We were in Bible study. And I said, okay, I have a question. I said, is God so powerful that God can make a rock so big that he can't pick it up? And they just looked at me. Mm. Well, that's a good question. Well, I was a troublemaker after that a little bit. Yeah, you were. But that's when people came and really started mentoring me too mm-hmm. and say, ask your questions, Tracy. They came yeah. out of the woodwork and asked the questions. Yeah. Um, but that's exactly what the question that I posed to myself is is like, is how big is God, right? Like, yeah. Do you remember the first Aladdin movie? Vague. Robin Williams played oh, yeah. the genie. Yeah. And he said, I've got all this power in this little bitty living space. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that we we do put God jack in the box, you yeah. know, McDonald's drive through This is yeah. what I want. Here's my order. Yeah. And I'm pissed off that I have to pay for it. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> that I have to do stuff. That I have it. to do stuff and be anything. <laughs> I just want to eat it. That's all. Yeah. And I don't want to get fat. I'm going to supersize it and I don't want to get fat. <laughs> Give me a Big Mac with no fat. That's right. Big fat, no fat. Big Mac, no fat. But yeah, uh, I think we, we do put God in a box. Mm-hmm. Um. I actually got in trouble one time. I don't know if you guys will know this. It was a Saturday Night Live sketch. What they were doing, I got my in a box. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, my so junk in a box. I did that. We got our God in a box. But oh. because some of the seniors had seen that Saturday Night Live, <laughs> I got pulled aside by my M&P and said, we got to talk. Did you really? I did. Oh, my God. That's awesome that you did that. Yeah. Yeah. Got in a box. Oh my goodness. You, it's too bad. Like I wasn't there with my brothers and Darcy, obviously we all would just would have died laughing. Yeah. Yeah. That's fabulous. But when we put God in a box, it got, I don't want to serve a God that can be put in a box. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to listen to that song now without seeing God, God in a God, box. Got my God in a box. <laughs> I love it. Justin Timberlake. Yeah. Justin yeah. Timberlake. Yeah. Yeah. That oh, was you it. even got the yeah. Yeah, baby. Got my God in a box. <laughs> and you know, sadly, even seeing it like that, when we say, you know what? This is who God is. Mm-hmm. We say things and present them a certain way. It makes you feel like, oh, you've got authority. You know. Mm-hmm. Okay, I guess yeah. that is God. Yeah. That's why now as I get older, I'm so careful about how I describe right? that. Yeah. Because I, I I don't want to limit other people's by my own limitations. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, And I recognize I have so many limitations that um, when talking about it, because the journey is so continuous, mm-hmm. as you've described it, like obviously unfolding constantly, right? Like. Mm-hmm. And, and in dramatic ways sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, what an amazing ability, though, that I, I don't know what, whether it's something that we were given maybe when we were first born, maybe all of us were given that. I mean, there's like a divine spark, people think, yeah. in all of us and, and that. Um, stardust. Yeah, the stardust, right? Because we are star people. I just love that, too. Mm-hmm. I don't know why people are so upset by that. Well, what's the problem with being made out of stars? Because they go back, when the moon is it? You know, they go back to that. No, Aquari- we're not at Woodstar. Aquarius? Yeah, yeah Aquarius. Yeah. yeah. I, it, that's not what we're saying. No, no, not it's at okay all. It's okay to say we're made from the earth, we're made from dust, but mm-hmm. you say stardust, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, whoa. Just don't. It seems alien to some people, <laughs> I think. And it's like, yeah, but that's how everything was started. Yeah. Like, I don't, it's okay. Boom. Anyway, yeah. 
Anyway, I um, is there anything else you want to talk about? This has I been enlightening. Wanna, I just want to say before we we get yeah. off the air, the first time I really heard you speak in front of people it was when you read scripture, I believe, and I've told you this personally, mm. but I want the world to hear. It. <laughs> uh, it was at a Christmas Eve, I think, service, mm. and you spoke, mm-hmm. or maybe it was Blue Christmas. It could have been Blue Christmas, yeah. You went up in your sh- pants. I think you had pants on, I, a t-shirt. I believe see I might some have tats pants. on because yeah. you'll see a couple of tats. Yeah. And you're, the way you spoke, you're this giant of a guy, right? The way you spoke was so gentle and mm. your cadence. I came home and told you about it, told my partner about it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I said to someone here who said, Tracy, if you start something, I'll go. Mm-hmm. Someone well-respected in, in our city. Mm-hmm. I'll go to your church. And I said, I'd like to do something with David Leary. Mm-hmm. If it was recovery, speakeasy, recovery, mm-hmm. Don't call it a church because House of Saint and Sinners, House of Speaking Easy. House of Speaking Easy is a pretty good name. I would do it, but yeah. I would want someone beside. I like working in team. Mm-hmm. Keeps me accountable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Keeps my ego in check because I'm from Texas, so everything's big. <laughs> but no, I like working in team because I learn more. Mm-hmm. I grow more. Yeah. And I like yin and yang yeah. too. Uh, but yeah, so we need to talk. If you're yeah. going to question me, yeah. I'd like to know. How, is there a way we can take what you're doing, what I may be called to doing further? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm definitely, I'm definitely always, I'm always interested in expanding my knowledge too, right? Mm-hmm. And my experience. So uh, like I have, I can't remember the last time I said no to something. Because okay, there's be... a group of people waiting yeah. to see what my next, step, next mm-hmm. steps are. And um, I'd be interested in checking it out because like there's no doubt about it that you're on a journey. Of discovery, right? Mm-hmm. Like without question. And and let me let me say this: I am not upset with the United Church of Canada, with the Southern mm-hmm. Baptists, or the Jesuits, or the Muslims, or anyone. I have appreciated each step of my journey, and I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if I'm going to mm-hmm. should I stay or should I go. I'm going to yeah. follow the calling in the Spirit. So right now, I've stepped back. I'm doing some pulpit supply, mm-hmm. and I'm working in the public sector, and I'm writing a little bit more, and I'm just listening. And I'm accompanying my partner on her journey. Mm-hmm. And whatever that means, you'll hear about it. I can't wait. When you I, have heard a yeah. podcast. And I'm appreciative of you coming on and talking, Tracy. Thanks I, for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Like I, I didn't I didn't know you very well. Yeah. I still am getting to know you, but wow, I feel like, okay, there's a reason why every time you're around, I kind of like get a weird feeling and I smile. A weird it, feeling. Yeah, like a weird feeling like there's... Like there's chemistry, right? Like mm-hmm. that chemistry with other humans. Mm-hmm. Like how I felt with Darcy when I first bumped into him and was introduced to him too is the mm-hmm. same thing. Um, and we sat down. What was it like a half an hour conversation? And then it's like, yeah, let's do this. Let's do this. Yeah. We were like, let's just do this thing. That's how things are started. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, look how Jesus called the fishermen. Yeah. You know, throw your nets on the other side. Mm-hmm. And they were like, go to hell. We've been fishing all night. He goes, no, seriously. Yeah. He's like, that's why you've been fishing all night. Because you're, you're throwing them on the wrong side of the damn boat. <laughs> and I think we're fishing on the wrong side right now. I think yeah. we've got to learn how to fish. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think agree. Th- I think the only way to do that, not with hooks, but with mm-hmm. love. Yeah. That, the hooks are, time for hooks are over, I think. I think it's storytelling, sharing our stories. And that's so cool because that's exactly what I want everything to be about. That's what we feel like yeah. we're being called to. Really? Sharing our storytelling. I love it. Let's I do it. it. Let's do it. All right. We're doing it here tonight. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in this week to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Please stay tuned every Wednesday as we air another episode. Thank you for your time. And please, if you're in trouble, reach out. 
if you need to contact us at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca or you can look for us on Facebook under Freedom's Path Recovery Society. Thank you again for tuning in. Please stay tuned for upcoming groups, activities, and podcasts.